Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Spokane, Washington, host of the podcast, Transformative Principal, and author of the books, School X, and check this out, How to Be a Transformative Principal. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education and happy to be here today. Well, I am going to agree on the happiness front. <laughs> I am happy to be here as well. Um, remarkably, we had tech issues between the two yeah. of us, which is scary. Um, but in any case, greetings to those who do not know. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York, and temporarily on a writer's retreat, which is much needed. <laughs> I'm an author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others, including today's superintendents, about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as, as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. And we ask you to visit that website because the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, which is a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Hello there, Jethro. Happy Monday, Fred. We got a doozy today. I tell you, it's, I love these ripped from the headline shows that we yes. get to do every now and then. And this one, um, boy, this one has all kinds of tentacles for us to play with over the next few weeks and months. So why don't you lead us in? So this is about a superintendent named Lynn Clark um, in the superintendent of Chicopee Public Schools who got arrested for lying to the FBI over harassing text messages. Now, I That's always nearly the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I know. So I think of uh, of Boston, Massachusetts, the New England area as this very old, like corrupt. Uh, <laughs> my the my family runs the city and the town and all of that, and I just have this mythical idea of what all goes on there, and that is. That is, in fact, the good word for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this this story does nothing but make me think that I am absolutely right in that assumption. Okay, well, let me add a little bit of context and depth <laughs> yeah, to that. That would be wise. As the Massachusetts boy here, <laughs> well, I'm proud to call the Bay State my my home in Boston specifically. But what's interesting about this is this actually taps into my college days because Chicopee is a town of about 55,000 people located in western Massachusetts, so far away from the center of depravity that is Boston, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> but the point being that I went to school at Amherst College, which is just a little bit north of Chicopee. I lived for a couple of years in Springfield. I know this area. And actually, what's interesting about Massachusetts and some of these towns is they're old manufacturing towns of one kind or another. Um, actually, I found in researching this story that Chicopee was once known for its sabers and swords, 
during mm. the Civil War. And if one gave an opponent Chicopee steel, that meant basically that you ran them through with whatever <laughs> you were fighting them with. So anyway, putting aside the fun historical stuff, what we have here is a very common, um, you know, an illustration of the ways in which these communities are set up. And honestly, I doubt that Oregon or Washington State is, is that different in the sense that you've got uh, city administrators, um, mm -hmm. you've got a school committee, like we had up obviously in Burlington, Vermont, and then you've got a police department. And somehow this case involves all three of them, which is yeah. just amazing. Which when you look at first, you think, how can these three be this much intertwined as they end up being in this story? So let me give uh, my version based on sure. what I understand about this of what happened. So yeah. the, uh, the, the city needed a new police chief. And right. so they had a that, vacancy. Yeah. yeah, so they had a vacancy, and this guy put in to be in that position. And the superintendent said, uh uh, this guy, like I made his career as the superintendent. I don't know how that works, but um, I'm the superintendent, and I don't think that this should happen. So I'm going to start sending harassing messages to him, telling him that he needs to withdraw and send them uh, also to myself so that it looks like I'm being victimized here as well. Um, and so then the mayor reached out to the FBI after the police officer came to the mayor and said, I need, I'm getting these threatening messages. What do I do? So the mayor reached out to the FBI, the FBI started investigating. And then the superintendent who's sending all these messages to herself and others is now saying, I have, I, I'm not doing anything. No idea. Yeah, leave me alone. And <laughs> and then lies about it and says she doesn't. And then they find out that the the apps that were used to create fake phone numbers were installed on her phone, were used at the time that they the, mm -hmm. the messages were sent. And it looks pretty obvious that yeah, it's she was doing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's basically at this point confessed right. to doing it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the FBI or law enforcement is done with her yeah. because I'm sure they're pulling her phone apart, you know, chip by chip to see what else might be on there. The only thing I'd add is, you know, the these this guy who's applying to be police chief actually did withdraw when he started getting dozens mm -hmm. upon dozens of harassing messages that were threatening his safety, threatening his family's safety. Um, it just, it is interesting because we don't know. One of the things I couldn't find out and hasn't been released yet by law enforcement um, or any attorney is what the relationship was, prior relationship was between the superintendent and this candidate to be police chief. Yeah. And so when she says something about how this guy had achieved, quote unquote, many accomplishments based on her work. Well, say what? How did that happen? Like, what possible superintendent work product? And this is a good question for you. So, what superintendent work product would make his police work better or his police career stronger? Yeah. And this is something that I was thinking a lot about also. How does this, how did she make him so special? And it could be that he was a school resource officer and did things within the school that 
made him significantly better or led to cases outside of the school being closed that wouldn't have been closed otherwise that through dealing with kids he found out information about adults and what they were doing i mean that's all pretty crazy though right it well and and we and because we're doing a little bit of a truncated show today but i will say that when this is more fully fleshed out we definitely will want to have a chat about that because if she's alluding to basically FERPA violations, you know, Family Educational Record Protection Act violations, that she was feeding this guy information, or that there was some sort of, you wouldn't want to go maybe so far as blackmail or extortion because of information he was provided, which, you know, is totally unfair, because we don't know anything about this, to be absolutely clear. And I think if a FERPA violation is like the kindest assumption you could make right now, right? Based that, on that comment, right. Yeah. yeah. And so we we have no idea what it is. We're not insinuating anything, but anybody's mind can start going a million miles a minute trying to understand how possibly could her position as superintendent get him to be successful so that he could qualify to be police chief, basically. And as she said that she she wanted him to be knocked down a peg. Um, that's in one of the articles in the show notes. So she's, she's thinking that his success is because of her and she doesn't like that. He's getting all uppity basically. (laughs) I think the only thing we can, we can can assure our listeners is we're going to put a thumbtack in this one. Oh, and yes. we'll come back to that. But, I created a new Google News alert for Chickpea School District. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. So anyway, in order to really make this relevant to the people listening to this podcast, what I wanted to do is um, just review with you, I think, some of the issues that popped up in my head when I was taking mm-hmm. a look at this. So, you know, the very, very first thing is what where the first thing is how did she lose her sense of restraint and self-control yeah you know what was it that triggered her to try to do this and then we'll talk about the technical piece which is absolutely bonkers but anyway you know look as a as a school administrator jethro surely you dealt with situations in which people did things because some aspect of their life was going bad Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what do this, you do? yeah, you, you have to maintain restraint and self-control as just being a normal human being, not to mention <laughs> a human being in charge of a whole school system that you started out in as a substitute teacher and essentially worked up through the ranks to be, to get the very top job. I mean, yeah. that is the part that is absolutely crazy. And she has worked very, very hard to get there. Right. And she's one of the civic leaders. I mean, we're talking about one of the half dozen people who is at the forefront of this city leadership, the city community. And to blow that because of some campaign to trash a guy is just mind blowing. It it really is. And this is one of those areas where um, you you just don't know what's causing someone to act that way. And What, and also, we can't really fathom what it is, and we will probably never know exactly what led her to do that. And and you are throwing away a lot by doing this. And sure. the the newspaper reported that they that she sent ninety nine threatening messages. 
which is a lot. I mean, yeah. you've got to be very involved and very intent to send that many messages threatening someone. Um, and yeah. you have to yeah. like think about it and plan it, get the burner apps and, and figure out how to do all that. And so if you wow. send one message <laughs> and, and make a mistake, that's one thing, but 99, that is a coordinated, planned, thoughtful way to get this person. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, you use the phrase in their burner app. Yeah. And that's that's the meat of this story because oh, yes. you know, look, I had I had flagged this, you know, I just I do my usual survey of news and this popped up in the Boston Globe because you know, being a Boston guy, I still mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> still read the hometown paper. Um and it, it, you know, the headline was email campaign. And actually the headline got it wrong, but because it was all text-based stuff. But it wasn't until I really began to read the stories that she realized that she was, in fact, trying to hide the source of the text messages by using a burner app. And I think we can really dig in a little bit into what that means. Yeah. So the first thing to recognize is that if you want to not share your phone number with people, there are lots of ways to do it. So I have a Google voice number that I give out freely. It's 801-7-JETHRO. And how cool is that? That's my phone number. <laughs> Anybody can call me and get that. What, what I like about it is that I can give that out freely on a podcast or on my other podcast and anybody can get it. And it's very easy for me to manage who can contact me on that. So mm -hmm. I don't have to answer any phone call from it. It screens everybody that comes, that calls me on there and text messages are not set up to go to my phone. And so that's intentionally because if somebody does text me at that number, then it just gets an email sent to me. And that's pretty much it. So mm -hmm. I use that to be able to communicate with parents at school so they don't have my personal cell phone number. Although I've changed my mind on that, which we can get into another time. But you can use that to contact people that you don't like if you're doing a Craigslist or Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or whatever or eBay. You can put that information in there so that people don't um, contact you about that. Any rewards program, I use that phone number like at the supermarket. I put that phone number in so I don't get annoying text messages on my personal phone about that stuff. I mean, it's nice to have this other phone number that is basically for all the junk mail <laughs> is what it comes down to. Well, and junk texts are a huge problem. And just as an aside, it's one way to help protect you from phishing attempts using mm -hmm. text messages and, and other uh, nefarious activities. So it's worth looking into. Not every use of a burner app or an alternative phone number is necessarily criminal. <laughs> exactly. There are very good reasons for having it, and there are many different services that offer it. So you can use it for if you are on a dating site and you don't want to have your personal contact information out there and be Which, contacted. <laughs> when we get around to doing cyber traps for spouses, partners, and lovers, we'll talk about some yeah, of the ethical right. issues. <laughs> yeah. So... I, I'm trying to like make the positive case here and you keep going yes. back to the, to the negative <laughs> things, Fred. So Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I, I expect it. We're good. So you can, you can have them and I want to read the promotional explanation for the burner app specifically. And there's a whole bunch of different ones. So yeah. it says use burner for everyday situations, create a disposable phone number for dating salespeople, deliveries, shopping online or selling items on Craigslist. You can use it as a long-term second phone number for your business or side projects like I've done. 
integrations with Dropbox, Google Drive, and Slack allow you to archive messages and voicemails and communicate with your team. Create multiple numbers, keep them as long as you want, or burn them anytime. Share your burner number with anyone and everyone, or keep your new number secret for anonymous texting, no hassles, no contracts. And there's a ton of different services you can use. It's, yeah, and we list about a dozen or so in the show notes, and people should feel free, obviously, to take a look at those and decide if this is something uh, that they would find useful in their daily lives for all of the reasons that you've talked about. Um, yes, having researched this stuff for 20 odd years, um, yeah, my mind goes into dark corners <laughs> yes, pretty <does>. quickly. <laughs> but that being said, I think what's interesting here, and this is relatively unusual in terms of the research that I've done, is the amount of thought that Superintendent, now soon to be ex-Superintendent Clark, put into setting this system up. And she clearly thought that she was going to be able to remain anonymous in this campaign against the police officer, but she didn't. And I think that that's something that people really do need to understand in that you can set these things up, but that does not mean that your identity can't be discovered. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what Ms. Clark is facing. Exactly. And the idea that you can truly be anonymous online is possible, but it's it requires a lot of effort to do it because yes, everything connects you back to something else that is actually you unless you are intentionally creating things that are not related to you from the very beginning, which most people are, are not, it's not even about being savvy enough. It's about doing all the work to create this completely different identity. That's not connected to you in any way. And one of the ways that they found out that she was, that it was her was that they knew the IP address of the phone that was sending, that was using the burner app to send and identified that that was in her home and that she was actually using her phone at that time, which I imagine they figured out because she unlocked her phone for them as they were doing this investigation. I can't imagine how else they would figure out that her well, phone was using that app at that time. Yeah, I mean, they, they would have had to get access to her phone to see what apps were on it and so forth, but they would also be able to correlate the records of the burner company with her cell phone records. Mm -hmm. So you can match that stuff up and or the cop kept the messages, the harassing messages, and all of those are date stamped. So yeah. then you can compare that to the burner records and see that this alternative phone number sent text messages at these dates and times. And those are the dates and times that the cop received. Them. Yeah. So those were coming in from that alternative number. And then this is the piece that blows my mind. She used her iPhone to buy the alternative number. Yeah. So that means that all of a sudden now they've got an Apple ID because Apple uses that to track these purchases. And once you have an Apple ID, then you can connect that to an IP address that it consistently uses and that gets you the physical address and it's it's that easy you know for for law enforcement now the average person can't do that but what people need to understand is that if you download and use one of these burner apps all of them are going to have terms of service which state that if they receive a valid subpoena from law enforcement 
particularly the FBI, they will open up the treasure chest of data that they have. And mm -hmm. at that point, it's just a downhill slide for the FBI. One of the things I think Jethro to underscore what you were saying is the amount of work it takes to really maintain anonymity using a cellular phone. In the course of researching some of this stuff, I read a series of tips from someone on using a burner phone because they were like, it's pointless to use an app on your main mm -hmm. device because that just links everything together. But in just by way of example, they said, if you want to use a burner phone for any reason, a true burner phone, obviously you're paying with cash, you're prepaying minutes. But if you carry your main device, both devices are pinging now the cell towers. Yeah. So that there's a record there. And then they also talked about um, calling from unusual locations, blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of work to yeah. really hide your identity. And it only takes one mistake. Mm -hmm. And boom, everything just gets connected. Yeah. Once they are connected, then you're right. Yeah. The floodgates are open and there's not much that you can do. And I think that, you know, if, if you are trying to do something nefarious, then you really have to take a lot of precautions to keep yourself from getting caught. And that's not what we're advocating here. <laughs> what we're advocating is don't do that stuff to begin with. Because yeah. it's going to be very difficult for you as a normal human being to to get away with it and you're going to get caught. So going all the way back to the beginning, that self-control and restraint is mm -hmm. incredibly important. You have to maintain that and find other ways to deal with your frustrations and difficulties that you're facing. Whatever's making her do this is, you know, you've got to figure out how to deal with that in a, in a better right. way. And there's a couple of things worth mentioning. I mean, number one. I would suggest that people take a look, particularly people in the school community, take a look at the model code of ethics for educators, mm -hmm. which is on cybertraps.com. It's on newsletter.cybertraps.com. It's on NASDAQ, N-A-S-D-T-E-C.net, uh, which is obviously the folks who promulgated it. One of the things that they talk about is monitoring your own condition so that you're aware of potential vulnerabilities that could lead to unethical behavior, which is a hugely important piece of this. Um, the other thing that um, I, I was going to say is now just slipped away, but we'll come back to that. Um, I think in the limited amount of time that we have for this particular episode, it's useful to go over some of the preventative measures that school administrators and districts should consider in terms of trying to prevent this. And you know, right at the top, of course, we need to recognize that this particular instance is not something that is a systemic issue, Certainly right? Not. This is, you don't look at the Chicopee School District and say, well, they have some broad problem that they need to solve. You know, hopefully this is a one-off, you know, that just resulted from whatever issues Ms. Clark was facing or whatever relationship It looks like your internet went down a little bit. So it, it, you're right. It is not a systemic problem that tons of schools are dealing with. It is a very limited one-off problem that schools are dealing with. You can't really 
see it or prevent it from happening because you're not going to get a lot of warning signs saying, here's, here's what's happening. This really goes down to what's happening internally with somebody and their own vulnerabilities and whatever demons they may have that lead them to do this. Um, but it's a good way to, to use this as a cautionary tale to remind people of the legal risks and honestly, kind of a fun story to say, this is crazy and wild and don't do this. <laughs> this is one of those things that you shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great summation. And, you know, the other thing which we've frequently talked about is the way in which a crazy story like this gets stapled to the top page of your resume. Uh -huh. You know, it's just the Internet is a memory machine and this stuff is is not going to go away. Yeah. And it's going to be really hard to get a job. One, if she ends up going to prison, obviously. Um, <laughs> but even if she gets, you know, even if she goes to trial and is found not guilty of anything, of any wrongdoing or uh, or is guilty of a misdemeanor and just has to pay a fine, um, it's going to be really difficult for her to get a job in education in the future and a difficult to get a job in a lot of places because they don't want someone toxic like this doing this kind of stuff again, certainly not in a leadership position. Yeah. Well, I think what, uh, as we wrap this up, Jethro, what I'd like to suggest, um, given the illusion you made, is that we should have a, a discussion at some point about communication methods between schools and parents. Because one of the justifications she used for having the burner app on her phone was that sometimes parents won't answer calls that they know are coming from the school districts. They don't want to hear what Johnny did today. Yeah. And so she would use the burner number basically to fool people. Mm -hmm. um, so that raises its own list of ethical issues, I think. Yeah, for sure. And that's a whole can of worms that it's a very real challenge to get a hold of parents sometimes. Mm -hmm. And as a parent myself, when I see the school number calling, I rarely answer it unless it is at a specific time of day. And, you know, I they do so many automated phone calls that... Um, that would be a suggestion that I have. We can talk about this more later, but if you're going to do automated phone calls, do a different number than what your main school number is so that people know this is the automated school line. And that way they don't, mm. they, they will actually answer when you really do call. So, <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a well, couple of things there. That's great. I just made a note in our forthcoming topics for yep. that. So we'll, we'll schedule that in and have a chat, but you know, I think your pragmatic experience is really useful there. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Alrighty, folks, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct of <laughs> epic proportions, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts, for helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the friends, your show, show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have topic, guest, or question suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate having you here and look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 